You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Matthew. Here's Nate. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And verse 3, he told them many things in parables. And so here in Matthew chapter 13, we have the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry in the form of parables. And you have numerous parables in this chapter where Jesus is basically communicating about the kingdom. Now, the important thing to remember about the parables and trying to understand them and interpret them is the place and manner in which they were originally delivered. They were spoken to crowds of people in busy kinds of settings and were stories that were basically going to be interesting enough for a person who's just sort of casually observing, casually listening, to remember enough of the details to then go and think about the story that was communicated and perhaps draw the main lesson from it. And it's important for us to remember that as we study them, because when we look at the parables, we have them in written form, We have all of the details, and what we can tend to do is overanalyze every detail of the parable rather than remembering the major themes and the major emphasis within each parable. And so in this first parable, however, Jesus is actually going to give us the interpretation. So first, the parable itself, starting in verse 3. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Then Jesus in verse 9 said, He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus delivers this beautiful parable. You know, perhaps as he's there by the sea and he is pushed out, we learn in verse 2, out into this little boat and sits down and begins to teach from the boat. And the crowd is standing on the beach. Perhaps Jesus looked up and saw a farmer and began to speak to them about this farmer who goes out and sows seed on these four separate, unique, distinct kinds of soil and the results of the seed in each one of those environments. But this group of people that were there, they would have easily latched onto a farming metaphor and story. And so Jesus gives the story and his concluding remark is, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He doesn't explain the parable. He really doesn't even start the parable out with the kingdom of heaven may be compared to or is like. He just says a sower went out to sow and he gets right into this story. You know, you've got the wayside, you've got the stony ground, you've got the thorny ground, and you've got the good soil that bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as you've been reading Matthew's gospel, you assume that probably he's talking about some kind of receptivity to the things that he has been scattering and communicating. You've got the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees who have resisted the words that Jesus has spoken and the works of Christ and his urging. He said basically in chapter 12, you're either for me or against me. So you sort of come away with that assumption, but then we move further in the text and we see the definition of each one of these terms. In verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So the disciples want to know, why are you speaking to these people in parables? And he says, listen, to you, it's been given to know the secrets, but to them, it's not been given. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So Jesus, in his response to the question of the disciples, why do you speak to them in parables? speaks to them of a real dullness of heart that was found in the large crowds. They were gathering together to follow Jesus because he was casting out demons, healing the sick, working miracles. And his fame was increasing in many ways for the wrong reasons. And of course, Jesus understands that ultimately these people would need to decide for him and follow him for the right reasons. Ultimately, the cross would come and there would need to be a desire to follow him, not for the external blessings, but for the spiritual blessings. And so their whole paradigm, their whole value system concerning Jesus is off base. That's why he says in verse 11, to them, this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has not been given. And, you know, they, they basically had no understanding yet. And so I think Jesus wants them to snap out of this blindness. And so a parable does that. A parable would help them see that they don't understand what this 
teacher is trying to communicate. And he says also in verse 12 that the one who has not, you know, this knowledge, even what he has will be taken away. Although their false knowledge would be dealt with, removed, taken away, so that they could see their spiritual bankruptcy. And in verse 13, he says, you know, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, there was sight that they possessed and there was hearing that they possessed, but they weren't grasping any of the truth that Christ was there to deliver. And so with their dull hearts that, you know, it says in verse 15, their eyes, they have closed and their, with their ears, they can barely hear these dull hearts quoting from the book of Isaiah. These dull hearts needed to be awakened. And so Parables were designed to cause a dull heart to be aroused from its spiritual slumber. And for the listener to realize, I don't know what this man is talking about. And it caused them to begin to ask questions. Now, in verse 18, he then begins to define and explain the parable of the sower for his disciples. Here then, verse 18, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so Jesus begins to explain the parable of the sower. Now, in one sense, this parable is a model for all of the other parables. In Mark chapter 4, verse 13, when Jesus explained this parable in Mark's gospel, he said, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So some of the definitions that Jesus gives in this parable are definitions that will follow us into the other parables. For instance, the first portion of it, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. So the seed of the sower is synonymous with the word of the kingdom. So in future parables, when we see the seed being sown, you know that that seed is the word of the kingdom. I think as well, you'll see that birds in this initial parable are bad and negative. And I think in future parables, we'll find a similar truth. Same with the earth. The earth is the world. People hear the word of the kingdom and there's a reaction to it. So he, you know, begins to interpret this model parable. But I love that he gives the seed as a picture of 
the word. You know, Peter called it the incorruptible seed, 1 Peter 1, verse 23. And, you know, in a seed, you have everything that's needed for the life of that particular plant, except for the appropriate environment and nourishment and cultivation of that seed. But inside of it is everything that is necessary for whatever species that seed comes from. And so it is with the Word of God. The Word of God has everything in it that a person could need for, as Peter says, life and godliness. That we have the truth contained within the Word of God. Oh, that we might know the power of the Word of God. Oh, that we might receive it like a seed that in the right environment can grow within us and produce within us and live within us and bear such amazing fruit as our minds and hearts are transformed as we interact with it, the power of the word of God. But the first kind of soil, he says in verse 19, he says, you know, the one who hears the word and and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So you have this first kind of soil, and you have obviously spiritual warfare. The birds represent the evil one, the devil himself, and of course the demonic realm. And the evil one snatches away the word from those who do not understand it. And there's almost like never even a second thought of that word that was delivered, which is just such a shame when you see this happen in a person's life. The word seems to find no penetration, no landing point, no ground of, you know, even consideration at all. And it's just immediately snatched from their heart, completely dismissed. And for some of you, when you tell someone that you're a believer or a Christian, you understand what it feels like to be immediately dismissed concerning your faith. And then the second Soil was found in verse 20, the rocky ground. Uh, they hear the word and they receive it with joy. But there's no root. There's no root. It represents a lack of depth. And because of that lack of depth and root, they endure for a little while. But then tribulation and persecution arise and immediately they fall away. It appears like it's taken root, but really underneath the surface, not much has actually truly occurred. And so this kind of person immediately when they go through a trial or a difficulty, they immediately abandon the church, abandon the gospel. It was just a fad in their lives. It wasn't real and lasting. Then you have another camp in verse 22 that, you know, it's a seed sown among thorns And they hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. There is just a care and a concern for the things of this world that keep this person from really becoming fruitful. And I would say that this is one of the main negative soils found in the modern church. Just a distracted, unfruitful getting tangled up in the cares of this world and wealth and just fully self-absorbed kind of mentality. I know that today, even this morning, a group of pastors and I, we gathered together and we were praying for the people 
and the fellowship that we're pastoring and we're just simply asking God to crush the spirit of selfishness that is in our culture, in our community, where people just become so self-absorbed and so focused on their own life. And it creeps into the body of Christ and it disables someone from experiencing the true joy of serving and giving and laying down their lives. And so just total distraction here. And so through the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and total unfruitfulness. And I think many people experience this lack of fruit in their lives. But there's one soil, a, a good soil. In verse 23, they hear the word, they understand it, they receive it, and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now this would have stood out to the hearers of that day. This was amazing fruit, 30 fold, 60 fold, and 100 fold. And this is what happens in the life of a person who really just receives the word of God without distraction, without competition, a total willingness to do whatever it is that God is asking them to do. There's a supernatural, abundant kind of fruit that comes from that person's life. So I would encourage you to continue to be a person of the word. Now we have Jesus giving us a supply of kingdom parables. Let's look at them quickly. First of all, verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of, he of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, of course, in this parable, the field has the same meaning and definition as the initial and model parable. You've got the seed being scattered out into the field, into the world. And you have, you know, a good crop that is beginning to grow. But then you have the tares or the weeds mixed in with the crop that has been sown by the enemy himself. And the master of this field tells his servants, let them grow up together. And at the harvest, we will make a separation. The weeds will be burned. And of course, the wheat will be placed into the barn. And this is a great picture of the awkward and sinful and unholy that grows up in the name of the church and in the name of God looking like it's part of the crop, but at the end of the age, God will be the one to divide and separate the wheat from the weeds, the wheat from the chaff, the wheat from the thorns and thistles. God alone makes that determination at the end of the age at the great harvest. And so often we fret about things that we see within the body of Christ or the named body of Christ, but 
perhaps the things that we fret about often are not even really truly part of the body of Christ. And the Lord himself at the end of the age will make that distinction and determination. In the end, all will be revealed, as Jesus had said previously in this gospel. Now, in verse 31, Jesus goes on into another parable. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, I've seen at times different posters and graphics that make this parable sound like a, a really wonderful thing. You know, the, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed that goes in the earth and just grows abundantly and it's so beautiful and big and and uh, so large that birds are able to come and, and nest in its branches. It's a great place of refuge for people and all of that. But I think that there's a consistency or constancy with what Jesus had already taught in the first parable, the, the landmark parable of the soils. And in the first parable, the first kind of soil where the seed was sown on the wayside, the birds of the air came and ate it. And Jesus said that the birds of the air were symbolic of the wicked one himself. So in this parable, I think Jesus is teaching two things. Large, abnormal, incredible growth. You wouldn't see a mustard seed produce this kind of large-scale growth. And certainly the church would do just that. The kingdom of heaven has grown and is all over the world. But additionally, that there would be things that are not of God mixed within the kingdom of God. And you sort of have the visible church, so to speak, that, you know, with the buildings and groups and committees and, you know, different segments. But you have the invisible church as well that only God can see. And uh, he's able to look right past those birds of the air nesting in its branches. And in verse 33, Jesus goes on and says, He told them another parable and said, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So, you know, you see these negative things happening from parable to parable. And in Jewish thought, leaven was symbolic of sin. And so... They were supposed to remove all of it during the Passover feast. And so this parable seems to be speaking of the previous truth that there will be sin that does permeate even the kingdom of heaven. But of course, at the end of the age, all of that will be dealt with. All these things, verse 34, Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is from Psalm 78, verse 2. Now, just as you've done with the parable of the sower, Jesus then explains the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or the wheat and the tares. Then he left, verse 36, the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. It must have been so nice to be a disciple Come and ask these questions privately. He answered, 
The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, once again, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, as I mentioned to you, and the reapers are angels, interestingly enough. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so for those who are pining for the absolute purity of the church and that judgment begins at the house of God, wonderful news for you. That day is yet future. It's coming and Jesus is going to send his angels and reap a harvest and purify his bride ultimately and completely. Then in verse 44, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, once again, the field is representative of the world. There's a treasure that's buried in this field. There's a treasure that is found in this world. And someone sells everything he has, buys the field so that he can have the treasure that's in the field. Personally, I think that this is a parable about Jesus, that he himself looked at the world, decided to redeem the world, atone for the sin of the world so that those who would believe in him would be drawn out of the world, his treasure, his bride, his people, his elect, and that he would lay down his life, sell everything he had in order to gain that treasure. I don't personally think that this is describing our conversion experience because rarely do we truly sell it all in order to place our faith in Christ. Usually it's a minor sacrifice, but not the kind of sacrifice, of course, that he made towards us. Again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so, once again, I think this parable has the same kind of meaning as the parable before it. Jesus saw this pearl, the church, and decided that he would sell all that he had and buy it. He would lay down his life in order to acquire us. And it's awkward to think of ourselves as a treasure and as a pearl, but this is his vision of us, not necessarily our vision of ourselves. And he certainly looks at us through grace-colored glasses. Again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So once again, a parable concerning the end of the age, this time using the analogy of fishing and the good and the bad separated from the net at the end of the age. Have you understood, verse 51, all these things? They said to him, yes. 
And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so to have true understanding means that you'll be able to understand the Old and New Testament and instruct and teach them well. Let's read this closing paragraph. And when Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Even Jesus experienced the problem of familiarity. And that familiarity kept the people in Nazareth from seeing Christ do wonderful works in their midst. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.